0: to show reverence to the Lord as we join in hearing his word. (laughs) Join a small group. Okay. Um, Our Old Testament reading this morning is in Psalm chapter 86, verses 8 to 13. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Our New Testament reading is in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them,
1: I think God is telling us to join a small group. So make sure you do that. Please join me in prayer for the word. Father, we thank you for uh, just your faithfulness to us, Lord, each and every day. We thank you, Lord, for gathering your people to give you glory and honor. And Lord, we desire to continue to worship you as we hear your word. We thank you, Lord, that you do speak to us clearly. Lord, through your word. And so we pray that you would, Lord, clear our hearts and our minds. Give us ears to hear that we may understand your words to us individually and corporately as your church, as your people, and that we may live according to your words, that, Lord, you may receive glory and honor every day. We pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, We are taking a step back from our lectionary for a moment, very briefly, and we're going through this series on the vision of our church. And so last week, Pastor Kenny did a great job of giving us the what, right? What is the vision of our church? And of course, we at Grace, we always are pushing and telling you about our multi-ethnic vision, right? The vision of our church, that all people, all ethnicities, all languages, right, No matter what your background is, every gender, every people would come together to worship our Lord. We always tell you about the multi-ethnic vision. And Pastor Kenny was pointing out last week that this isn't just our vision. It's just not something that we made up because we thought it was cool or the good thing to do. But that the multi-ethnic vision is God's vision. It is His vision for His people. It is His vision for His plan of salvation. And so, as we have now heard about the what is the vision, today I will strive to discuss with you and and from the word, talk about the why. Why this vision? Now in today's New Testament passage, of course, it's probably familiar to most of us. It's the great commission that Jesus gives to his disciples before he ascends back to heaven. And here, he says in verse 19, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And when we read this passage, and oftentimes when we hear a sermon preached about this passage, this Great Commission, we hear about how important it is to make disciples or join a small group, right? And make disciples. Go to your community, locally, in your church, to the ends of the earth, right? To make disciples of all nations. And we hear this a lot. We hear it preached. We read it. We have a title for it, the Great Commission. But I think oftentimes we overlook the why. Why did Jesus give this commission to the disciples? Why in verse 19 did he say, go therefore and make disciples of all nations? He could have just said, now go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I am giving you all authority on heaven and earth. Go and make disciples. But he didn't just say, go and make disciples. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. Why did he say this? So now that we have answered the what Now we have to answer the why. Why is it God's vision to unite all nations? Why is it God's vision to unite all people in Christ? There are so many other good things, good works, good visions. Why gathering the nations? Why making disciples of all nations? Why was that Jesus' commission to the disciples? It could have been anything else. He could have said, now go and love people. Now go and be accepting to everybody. He could have said anything to the disciples. But he said, go and make disciples of all nations. And then he went into heaven. Now I did a little bit of research. Because I wanted to see how well the church has grasped this concept, this this commission that Jesus has given us to make disciples of all nations. And so I went to different church websites, and I'm not going to say who who or name the church's names, but I went into about a dozen different churches' websites, and I wanted to gather information about what do these churches think about this Great Commission? And so I went to their vision statements and their mission statements and what we believe statements and all these things, and this is a summary of what I found in my small investigation of these dozen churches. Most of the churches that I looked into, their vision or their mission went something like this. We want to follow the great command given by Jesus to love God and to love others. Sounds really good, right? Or we want to follow the great commission, which is to make disciples locally and globally. We want to be a light to the people around us. We want to advance the kingdom of God. We want to be inclusive. We want everyone to be part of the church. And so we care about loving people. We care about friendships and relationships and fellowship. We love doing things together. We love having fun and being part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And we want to go and help those who are suffering, the orphan, the widow, and the marginalized. Now, out of all of these churches, only one of them had anything to do with a multi-ethnic or a multicultural type of worship. Almost all of the churches that I looked into had the same type of worship style. It was a modern, contemporary style of worship. And I'm not saying this to belittle these churches. Their mission statements are not wrong. Their vision statements are not wrong. The issue lies in The why, the why. Why do we obey the greatest command? Of course, because Jesus told us to, but, but why do we love God and why do we love others? Why do we follow the Great Commission? Why do we go on missions trips domestically and internationally? Why do we help the orphan, the widow, the marginalized, those who are suffering? Why? Why do we do these things? The why is in all nations. The why is in this multi-ethnic, multicultural vision that is God's vision. That is the why. Here's what I mean. The driving force of God's vision, right? God's vision to unite all people, unite every nation in Christ. The driving force of that is that all the nations would come together to do what? To worship him. To give him praise, to honor his name, to give him all of the glory. That is the why. He's not, God's not doing it to be woke, right? He's not doing it because it's politically correct. The reason why he's gathering the nations, the reason why through his son, Jesus Christ, he made atonement for the sins of the world, right? All nations, So that he could gather all tribe, all nations, all language groups, all people groups, all tribes, all together. Why? So that we could all worship him. Because he is worthy of the worship of all people, all nations, all tribes, all languages. So the why is worship. Why did he send his son to sacrifice himself, to atone for our, my mistakes, my sins, to save us. Why did he save us? So that we can worship him. When you read the Gospels, if you don't understand the why, I think sometimes we kind of start going off on tangents and we don't understand what Jesus was trying to do. If we, in our culture and our worldview, and I, I, was, I was also guilty of this as well growing up. When we read the Gospels, right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we read it in our cultural context, in our Western worldview, in our individualistic type of Western worldview. Then we read into this that Jesus' ministry was, okay, he just went and he did good things and he taught good things. And then he said, all right, now go and do good things. And then he went into heaven. And so oftentimes, what, what, what does the church practice? The church practices Well, we teach good things, we do good things, we do good works, we want to love people because, you know, that's what... But if you look at the ministry of Jesus, what Jesus actually was doing, he was breaking barriers. He was breaking barriers between the hierarchy and the bureaucracy. He was breaking barriers between male and female, slave and free. He was breaking the barriers between class and social status He was breaking the barriers between the Jews and the Gentiles. That was the ministry of Jesus. Not just going around and floating in the air and walking on water and saying good things. No, he was, he was, this is God's vision. And Jesus in his ministry, if you look closely, he was going to the Samaritan woman at the well. And breaking those ethnic boundaries. He was going to the lame and the leper and the outcast and breaking those barriers of social and economic class. If you look at what Jesus was doing, then, right, when we get to Matthew chapter 28 and he looks at his disciples and he says, now go and make disciples of all nations, then it makes sense why Jesus said that to his disciples. Jesus in throughout his ministry, he understood this vision of God. When he rode triumphantly into Jerusalem, he went into the temple and he started overturning tables, right? I mean, Jesus wasn't, he was strong, he was overturning these tables. And what did he say? He didn't say, get out of here, you know, you guys are sinning and you guys are bad people. The scripture records that this is what Jesus said as he's overturning tables in the temple. My house shall be called a house of what? Prayer for all nations. Because that is the vision of God. Even in today's context, the disciples see the risen Lord And what do they do? They bow down and worship him. It says that they're worshiping him. And as they're worshiping Jesus, what does he say? He says, now go and make disciples of all nations. What, What does he mean? He's saying, as you are worshiping me now, these disciples, he says, now go to the nations, make disciples, and come back all together and do this. Worship God. God's vision for the nations is apparent even in the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1, when there are Gentiles and women who are part of the heritage of Christ. Because this is the heart of God and is the vision of God for salvation through the entire Bible. God's plan is to unite all people to worship Him. It's painted from the very beginning, even in Genesis when God reveals His plan to Abraham, and he says, "I am blessing you so that you can bless the families of all the earth, because He was to receive glory from the nations." Throughout the Psalms, just as we read this morning, at our, our Old Testament reading, the songs are sung, not just from the Israelites. The Psalms don't just say, oh, Israelites, oh, Jewish people, praise the Lord. No, it says, all nations, heavens and the earth, all creatures, everything that has breath, everything, everyone, every being, all nations, praise the Lord. Give him worship. And throughout the Old Testament, we see that God reveals his glory and his power, not only to the Israelites, but to the pagan nations as well, that the pagan nations and even the kings would see his glory and his might and worship him. We remember the stories about Abraham and how God used Abraham to reveal his glory in a foreign land. We remember the story of Joseph and how God raised up Joseph to show his glory and his might through Joseph to a foreign people in Egypt. We remember the friends of Daniel and what they went through and how after the glory of God was revealed to Nebuchadnezzar, he praised God. He said, your God is the true God. And Ezekiel, as God is speaking to his people of the new covenant in verse in chapter 36, 23b, he says, and the nations will know That I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. This multi ethnic vision, gathering of the nations, uniting them in Christ, this wasn't just God's plan, change of plan all of a sudden in the New Testament. It is a recurring plan. It is his vision from the very beginning. And so we see that in the Old Testament. We see that in the New Testament. It's covered with this multi-ethnic vision of uniting all people to himself. The early church, the early church was diverse, multi-ethnic, multicultural, and even multilingual. For some reason, we in the 21st century cannot grasp and miss what the apostles immediately after Jesus could see so clearly. They saw this vision clearly. We can see that in the early church as Jesus ascends and the apostles gather to to worship and to pray. What happens? Pentecost. Pentecost. We know what happens at Pentecost. They're immediately thrust into the middle of God's vision, The early church is born with not just Jews, not just Gentiles, but Jews and Gentiles. Not just Hebrew Jews, but Hellenistic Jews. Jews from the surrounding regions who speak different languages even. The Lord called Paul the Apostle to be a minister to the Gentiles because of this vision. Now, The churches were, of course, called to love one another, bear one another's burdens, and not neglect meeting with one another. But this was in the midst of their differences, their cultural differences, their ethnic differences, their language differences. They were commanded to meet together, to love each other, and to bear each other's burdens. Not that their culture or their ethnic differences didn't matter anymore because they're coming here. That's not what this is about. It's not that their differences are ignored, but, but that they're integrated. They're being engrafted. Not one into the other, right? But that all people come together and be engrafted into Christ and be one because he is one. One of my most memorable experiences in Korea was when I first got to Korea and I couldn't speak the language and I didn't know the culture. I mean, I, yes, I know I, I look Korean right? and I can speak now and I know the culture now, but back then I, I didn't. I didn't know the language. I didn't know the culture. I didn't know how they worshiped. And I remember first stepping into a church there and it was a Presbyterian church. It was a very, very conservative Presbyterian church. And I remember hearing a song that I, I, I recognized. as a familiar song that I knew in English. And I remember just tears pouring down my eyes. Why? Because I could worship God with these people. And hearing these people sing the same song that I grew up hearing and singing and praising God with, and hearing them sing the same song in a different language, but to the same God. And the same thing, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I remember one time going on a, a short-term missions trip to the Philippines. And we went to an orphanage in the Philippines, and it was a Christian orphanage. And I remember we had a worship service time. And just hearing these children worshiping my God, the same God, loving Jesus in a different language, singing the same song. That's the vision. God doesn't want separate worship and separate praise. He he deserves all of the praise. And he desires for us to do it together. And so the plan of God, the vision of God for the salvation of his people, that all creation would gather together and glorify him through worship, Because everything revolves around worship. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth to be glorified. He created us so that he would be glorified, so that we would worship him. All created things are to worship him and give him glory. And so the psalmist proclaims, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. The first catechism. Do you guys know what the first catechism is? What is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To To glorify Him, to praise Him, to worship Him. The issue is not whether we worship God or whether we don't worship God. The issue is whether we worship God or we worship something else. Because we are programmed to worship If we're not worshiping God, then we're going to be worshiping something else. Something else in our life will be our idol. God, his design is for us to gather together to all worship him. And so throughout history and throughout the entire Bible, we see that God is constantly restoring all things back to himself so that he may receive worship and glory. In Colossians 1.20, Paul says, And through him... Jesus and God to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In Philippians 2, Paul says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As Christians, when we are asked about the vision of God, we must not just be satisfied with a simple statement of something that just sounds like Christian, like it just sounds good, like, oh, to help people, or yeah, like, what are you all about as a Christian? Oh, you know, to, uh, you know, help people, or, you know, to be good, or, you know, just to, you know, to, I don't know, do something really, really, we can't be satisfied with that. We need to understand the why. Why are Christians called to love God? Why are Christians love, called to love others? Why are Christians called to these things? And further, why have we been redeemed? Why have we been justified? Why have been, we have been chosen? Why are we being sanctified even now? And why will we be glorified one day? The reason is the end goal the vision of God that all would be gathered and united from every nation, tribe, people, language, that all would come and worship God. This is the theme throughout the entire Bible. And God is reconciling all things to himself so that, as Revelation 7 says, every nation, every tribe... Every language, every people will cry out to the Lamb of God, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb of God. There is nothing wrong with us saying that our vision is to proclaim the gospel or our vision is to make disciples or see the whole world saved through Jesus. There's nothing wrong with us saying our vision is to love our neighbor, to do good works, to help those who are suffering, but we must understand the why. The why. And so that is why we put such a high priority on corporate worship. That's why we urge you, and that's why we encourage you to come and worship together. Because what we do here in corporate worship is a foretaste of heaven's worship. This is a preparation of what it's going to be like in heaven. And so you might feel a little bit uncomfortable, like, oh, man, why is this person next to me singing in Korean? Why is this guy singing in Spanish? Or why are we singing this type of song? Or how come we don't sing more hymns? This is what it's going to be like in heaven. And so we're practicing through corporate worship The very vision that God has given to us, not just now, but throughout history and from the very beginning of time. God's vision, His plan of salvation, that we as His people would gather and unite together to worship Him. And in worshiping Him as we do, all together, united in one through Christ, as we gather with different languages and different ethnicities and different cultures and different backgrounds and different people, as we do this, we are giving God the highest praise and we are giving him the highest glory for it is God who tells us, he commands us to do this. And this is why we strive. We strive to implement this vision of God. We don't just talk about it. We don't just teach it, but we strive to implement it in our lives, in our very lives. We strive to implement it in our worship and in our church because it is the vision of God. And so, instead of responding to this vision and rejecting it, or or maybe... Becoming wary or tired of it. Oh, I'm so tired of the pastor always talking about this multi-ethnic vision. Oh, I'm so tired of always hearing about this at church. Unfortunately, even in my short time here, I've heard people say, I wish you guys would just talk about the gospel more instead of talking about this multi-ethnic vision. I wish you guys just, talk, I, I wish you just talked about Jesus more instead of this multi-ethnic vision. The reason why we talk about the multi-ethnic vision so much is because it is the gospel. The reason why we talk about this multi-ethnic vision is because it is God's vision. It is why Jesus came. It's why he died. It's why he brings salvation to all nations. It's why he commanded his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. And so the multi-ethnic vision is not something that's set apart from the gospel. It's not something that's set apart. It is the gospel. And so Paul, who is kind of the front runner, he's the, he's the apostle, right? He's a go-to guy. He understood this. His, his ministry was to the nations. It was to the, uh, to the Gentiles. And so in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some and do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Let us not respond with grumpiness about this vision, but let us respond as Paul did, that if there's someone that's different than us, that we would love them as Christ loves us that if we're a little bit uncomfortable because of the different culture or whatever it may be, that we heed these words of Paul. The multi-ethnic vision is not a reaction to the culture. It's not because we're trying to, you know, be politically correct or anything like that. We, we, we do this and we practice this because it's God's vision, because it's biblical, because it is the gospel. And so, church, let us go to the nations here in our community In our country, to the ends of the earth, let us proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they may know him and then join us and worship him together to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ who came humbly to this earth, who bore our sin and shame, who died on the cross, the death that we deserve, and who resurrected from the grave, and who, Lord, is the only one who can save us and give us eternal life. We thank you, Lord, for your Son. And we thank you, Lord, that you are gathering the nations to give you praise and to worship you, Lord. And as your people, let us continue to strive or to practice this vision that you have given to us, your people, and that you may receive the highest glory and honor from us. And we pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.